0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Stephen Davis. Stephen is the Group Principal of United Colleges Group, a further education provider catering for over 20,000 students across five campuses in London. Stephen, very warm welcome to you. And thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a real pleasure, Stephen. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to understand your take on leadership. So, diving straight in and just looking at that word "leader" in isolation first and foremost, what does that word actually mean to you?
1: Uh, leadership it, it varies from situation to situation. I think uh, there's no. I, I don't think there's any distinct definition for leadership uh, that you can say, okay, a leader is, I mean, I think it's very much a situational thing based on uh, the, the organization and the environment within which you're operating. But for me, generally speaking, in the context of education, I, I'm a facilitator. I see leadership as being someone who facilitates individuals to do their very best. And that means being uh, people of this view of leadership as being a kind of hierarchical thing where you're at the top of the pyramid. Whereas for me, leadership is being about at the bottom of the pyramid and then facilitating uh, your organisation and your, your the individuals who you work alongside uh, to do their very best through empowerment, through coaching, through mentoring uh, and, and sometimes through direction. So it's a myriad of things, leadership. And I and I would I wouldn't like to get too dogmatic about what it what it means because it as I say it is situational and varies from uh, from time uh, based on time and place and situation so it's very difficult to pin that down I think Scott.
0: Mm. it's an incredibly important point that you mentioned there about being on an equal footing with those around you even being the one at the helm because that humility as a leader it makes it so much easier to be able to take people with you and also empower them as you say to do things for themselves and sort of take on their own form of leadership as well because that's something which is really important for one's development I think Um, but also as well you mentioned the word mentor teacher These sorts of people can actually be some of the most influential leaders out there in their own right, can't they? Because they do have a really direct impact on different individuals' lives.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Because uh, what you want to do is exhibit the behaviours and values which you think are important in society. I mean, one of the reasons I came into education was to make a difference. And I've basically played a role in education at every level, from teacher Uh, to manager, to head of faculty, to to senior leader within the sector. Uh, And that mentoring and modelling of behaviour has been extremely important to me, not only as a leader, but as someone who has had strong leadership for them throughout their career. Uh, And I have specific mentors to this day who I used to work with and for, who I go back to. Uh, in, in a way in which to help me sense test my leadership practice. Because fundamentally, you're always learning as a leader and it's, and you never get to the end of that journey. And it's really crucial that you do have that humility to understand that uh, normally you only know a section and you're there to facilitate and bring different variables and ingredients to play in order to get the best recipe and the best outcome from the ingredients that are available to you. But sometimes you need to go back to the cookbook, and that means I go back to the mentors and leaders that I've worked with in the past who have a significant influence on me and on my style.
0: Mm. And that's incredibly important um, as well, of course, being able to learn from different leaders, both good and bad, and sort of take the good elements from that and integrate that into your own leadership style. Um, Of course, you entered the education sector to uh, make a difference, uh, Stephen, as you say there, but what was the point when you realised that that was really the pathway for you? What really inspired you to sort of take that route?
1: I've always been interested in the, the idea of social mobility. I mean, my my own background is I come from a, a fairly a working-class town in the west coast of Scotland, which was a historic tradition in shipbuilding. I saw how industrial change uh, impacted on my communities, and I wanted to use the power of education as a medium in order to... I fundamentally believe that education can leverage change for individuals, regardless of background, uh, and I felt I had a role to play in that. Because I've seen it work for me. I'm the first member of my family to graduate from university with a degree Mm. uh, and a postgraduate qualification. So I I, I see myself as a kind of embodiment of the power of education. And now I'm a senior leader uh, within a multi-million pound sector uh, within the United Kingdom, having worked both north and south of the border. And I'm speaking to, to you today, Scott, and I think, like it's good evidence of the power of education, because without education, we, you and I wouldn't be having this
0: discussion. I think that's absolutely right. And if we think about the importance of mentors and teachers just in a little bit more depth, as we've already sort of touched on, um, when we think of leadership in this country, there is a tendency to associate that with people within the public eye, isn't there, such as politicians, such as sports personalities, such as celebrities. And sometimes perhaps we maybe fail to recognise the importance of those everyday leaders such as mentors, teachers, in the context of the here and now, people on the front line as well, people who are active yeah. within their communities. and um, do you think that's really the the case, Stephen, that leadership in that sense isn't perhaps as recognized as it should be?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. One of our key mantras and philosophy here that we try and impinge not only on our all our staff, regardless of role, but also our students, are that they are leaders in learning. Mm-hmm. And it's that leadership in learning which is important. Whether you as a, are a leader within your class and helping your classmates in that particular context, or as a teacher with your students and also your peers, try to drive leadership capacity throughout the organization. So we don't want people relying on a key individual to provide that leadership. Mm. We want to empower our organization so that everyone embodies that sense of leadership and learning. Uh, and that can sometimes be quite difficult to achieve based on the, the different stakeholders that you're dealing with within an organization. Uh, some people are more willing to engage in that sense of ownership than others. But that's about winning an argument. And another key element of that as a leader is understanding that you are not you, you don't you you need you're relying on other individuals within your organisation uh, to 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 show you leadership mm. to to manage you and in, in, in terms of giving you that direction, which then informs your own practice. So it's like ensuring that that feedback loop of leadership is complete. So it it, it needs to be cyclical in nature. How we how we inform our leadership practice. Uh, and it can't just be a one-way street for the want of a better description. So, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's a key tenant of our philosophy here at United Colleges Group is that everybody is a leader in learning.
0: And that's incredibly important, encouraging and empowering people to take on their own leadership, as we uh, say there. Now, um, we are going through, of course, one of the greatest learning curves um, of our time. Quite a difficult and quite a tragic time for businesses, organisations and communities alike, Steve, and the COVID-19 pandemic, no less. Um, how has it been from a leadership perspective adapting to the impact of that outbreak? Because I can imagine it's been a tremendous challenge for the likes of yourselves as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's been incredibly challenging when we have a significant proportion of our learners who uh, come a part of a kind of vulnerable group, you know, under 25 learners who have got learning difficulties and all the things that go with that. And, and, and there's a balance between your obligations as a provider of education and the duty of care also, which we owe to our staff. Uh, a, a large proportion who who themselves come from uh, backgrounds which <clears throat> are, are challenging uh, uh, within the London context. So we we took control of the situation as best we could, uh, following Public England Health advice as best we could. But the final, the, the, the big impact for us was the Imperial College report, which we read in detail, which we found quite stark. And that was the advice which was prevalent at the time as we moved into lockdown. So, to a certain extent, we moved ahead of the government journey on the, on the back of some of the, the evidence that was being purported to come from the Imperial College London Report. So we made a decision quite quickly that we were moving to online blended learning approaches. Now, blended learning is nothing, it's not new. It's been around since the 80s where we have tried to develop blended learning. We are lucky and fortunate that we are a Microsoft flagship college. Uh, we're building a new college in Wembley and we are, uh, Microsoft is a key partner for us uh, around online technology. So we perhaps had a start of our tenure and we moved quite quickly into a Teams environment for all our learners. Um, generally speaking, although it was more difficult for learners at lower levels, particularly English speakers of other languages, of which they account for 64% of our adult provision, uh, English speakers of other languages. So we quickly took control of the situation and we went into a lockdown and we created a standard of delivery. So what we did is we created three metrics around uh, what kind of standard of delivery, gold, silver, and bronze, and three metrics of engagement for our students. And on the back of that, we moved to a wraparound service, similar to social care, allocating caseloads to, to teachers and caseloads to key workers to ensure that every student had an individual service. And that was really effective about ensuring that what we were doing remotely was delivering outcomes for our learners. Uh, it also meant that we took care not only of their academic needs but their pastoral care, uh, where we ensured that we can, we paid uh, directly to them any entitlement which was due around, for example, free school meals, which was an important issue for us. And as you know, it was quite sensitive in the in the political domain mm-hmm. because it took a, it took a while to. MA uh, itself through into the post-16 sector, although they had talked about schools. So we, we absolutely uh, dealt with that immediately. And uh, students were received an allocation of funds straight into the bank account on a weekly basis. Because So it was that idea of academic and social care. And we brought the two of them together through a key worker approach similar to social work, for the want a better description, plus academic support through tutorial uh, based on classes. So the way we kind of talk about it, we talk about it, it's physically distant, virtually together, mm-hmm. uh, and that was our philosophy during the long time, and still is, I must say, because many of our learners are still working remotely. Mm,
0: exactly right, and that show of leadership from a distance has been um, an incredible feat um, from business and organisations and uh, the education sector alike during this time. And as we think about what the new normal is going to hold over the course of the next year as we move into the next stages of the uh, the pandemic, Stephen, um, what do you envision for yourself and for the United Colleges group? Um, Do you think that those working practices are going to continue um, as they are? Do you think there are going to be some fundamental changes?
1: I think we're going to be in the wake of COVID for some time. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that the, the idea of a wave, you know, first wave, second wave, and, and hopefully over time those waves will diminish. So our, currently what we're looking to do is because we believe that uh, socialization is a key part of the college experience, and it's particularly important for the demographic profile of learner that we have uh, particularly within the London context uh, as you know in London uh, we're dealing with a lot of social issues particularly around night time and in fact I talked about it quite extensively in my article for Parliamentary Review mm. where I talked about the idea of safety and you know how college is a safe haven for many young people who attend college they normally leave their own communities to come to college that doesn't sit within them in order to escape some of the pressures uh, which may come from their own domestic uh, situation uh, based on where they actually live. So from what we are hoping to do is to have that sense of socialisation from having a college experience, but also understanding that we're dealing with a constraint of physical distance. Now, at the moment, uh, the physical distance uh, constraint is 2 metres, who knows where that will go and if it is reduced to one meter and it's safe to do so I would hope that that, that would take place because that will allow us to increase our capacity on uh, physical education environments uh, because it would help us around the numbers we can have physically in the building but our plan is to do a mixed economy model where we are hoping to bring students in for at least half of the provision on to the physical campuses Uh, and then, once again, half we will do in a virtual environment because what we've evidenced is impact through the virtual environment. So in terms of managing risk, we feel that our approach to uh, remote learning has been relatively effective in the majority of cases. And therefore, when it comes to managing that risk, we feel comfortable, as does our board, that that's something that we can do quite effectively, but we also understand the social issue issue of coming to college, which frankly, when everyone's working remotely and in isolation, we've not been able to probably do that as well as we would like to have done. Hence the reason of doing the mixed delivery model. Mm. And it points back to the idea of kids coming to college, adults coming to college, physically distant while we're at college, but when you're not at college, you'll be virtually together. It's also crucial as well, given the impact in the jobs market, uh, that we offer opportunities to adults to come back and retrain, retrain in a manner which is quick and effective, and upskills them to get back into the marketplace as quickly as they can. And we're working with the Greater London Authority around Some initiatives for us as United Colleges Group to do that. In fact, the Mayor launched the Skills for Londoners uh, campaign with us at our King's Kings Cross campus. and We worked hand in glove with the the GLA around ensuring that we are delivering for Londoners, particularly adult Londoners, in terms of getting them back into the job market, which I think all forecasts are suggesting that this is going to be one of the worst recessions in living memory. So it's important that we have different avenues and different models based on the need of the individual student as and when they present themselves with the college. The other thing we're looking to do just finally is ensure that from getting access to college becomes easier for students. So those who are perhaps nervous and anxious about leaving their house in order to come to a campus to enrol, we're ensuring that we can do that without them leaving their home by creating systems and processes which facilitate access whilst reflecting the external environment of COVID and public transport and leaving home. So it's about accessibility for us next year for young people and for adults and um, the reality is events of education taking place in classrooms at a point in time I think will become less and less the norm, with the new normal being caseloads, allocation of individual learner journeys, monitored by academic staff, by, uh, by staff who are looking at the pastoral uh, and social care of our students over the journey that they have with us here at
0: United Colleges Group. Certainly going to be an interesting time for sure uh, Stephen by the sounds of things and you know given how informative it's been discussing some of these uh, issues uh, with you today I think it would actually be fantastic if at some point in the next year we could catch up and have you back on the programme just to see how some of those hopes are being borne out and assess exactly what has changed in the time between because it's all well and good speculating on that but it's another thing entirely looking back and analysing exactly what's happened
1: thought that would be fantastic and I'd be more than welcome. I I'd, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that.
0: It would be a real pleasure for myself as well Steve and it's been fantastic having you on the uh, the program to join us uh, today. It's a shame we don't have more time otherwise we could discuss it long into the afternoon I'm sure. Um from a listener's perspective I think it would be wonderful to hear from you again and until we do touch base again in future do take care and do stay safe most importantly because we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet as we well know. Thank you. That was Stephen Davis speaking, the group principal of United Colleges Group. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and the Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Now, despite being blind from birth, Lord Blunkett rose to prominence to become one of the most notable politicians of his generation, holding a number of senior positions in the Cabinet of then Prime Minister Tony Blair, and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was elevated to the House of Lords as Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough in August of 2015. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished speaking with him. That is coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.